And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honors of Grayskull! I'm the Doctor. and welcome to the 50th episode of Charlie's Geek Cast. I am your host, Charlie Neymar, and today we are celebrating 50 episodes by jumping back to 1983 to take a look at Action Comics number 544, which not only introduces updates to Lex Luthor and Brainiac, but also celebrates Superman's 45th anniversary. So after a promo, we'll get right into the first part of the issue. Charlie's Geek Cast will return after these promos. Well, did you miss me? Just here to tell you that Management Podcast is returning soon with new episodes, weekly episodes. With Super Friends and the Christopher Reeve movies behind me, we head into the late 1980s with the Ruby Spear Super Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Intercut with episode of Superboy. That's right, Ruby's Bear Superman and the Adventures of Superboy coming soon to the Man of Steam podcast at www.com. I'll try. And a large black coffee. And I suppose you're here with no agenda, as per usual? On the contrary, I'm here for comics. I think I can help all of you. Hello, I'm the caffeinated Clinton Robison, and I host a podcast called Coffee and Comics. On this podcast, I summarize, review, and discuss comic book issues, stories, and related media, usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is where the comics are never too old, and the coffee is never too cold. 
We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Action Comics number 544 had a cover date of June 1983, an on-sale date of March 24, 1983, and a cover price of $1.50. This cover is very yellow. Uh, it's by Gil Kane with Dick Giordano on inks, and I think the yellow would have really drawn the eye of several people checking it out on the newsstand in late March of 83. The background image looks to be reproduced straight from Gil Kane's pencils as it looks very much more Gil Kane-y than the rest of the image. And it's just an image of Superman with a shocked expression on his face. It's pretty good, but the Action Comics logo covers his hair, so it could just be about any Gil Kane male figure. In the foreground, Kane is inked by Dick Giordano, as I mentioned, and we have four figures. Uh, we have both of the older style of Luther and Brainiac, with the new versions in front of them in very same poses. Now, I'll be honest with you, I would definitely be more intrigued by the new Brainiac than the new Luther. Lex has basically just put on a suit of armor, but Brainiac looks completely different. Uh, so this is definitely more of a poster cover than anything else with the uh, gold anniversary logo at the top and at the bottom there's a box telling us that we're going to get the cosmos quaking origins of the new Luther and Brainiac. The nice thing about this cover is that um, something we haven't seen on previous issues is there is a box telling you which talented individuals did some of the work for this book. More on them as we go through the issue. The first story in this issue is Luthor Unleashed, written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Anthony Tallin, and edited by Julie Schwartz. We begin at the end of yet another Superman vs. Luthor battle. As Superman takes off to handle another emergency, Luthor crawls from the wreckage of a ship. Thanks to a flashback that's actually in the title image, which is actually kind of cool, uh, we see that this was Luthor's ship, and Superman had busted through it. So Luthor ejected and fired blasts of what he calls his Zonic Beam from his chair, which bounced off of Superman and hit Luthor's chair, knocking it out of the sky. And the ship crashed, but Luthor was saved from a fatal crash thanks to a blast of super breath from Superman. Fortunately, for Luthor anyway, he manages to limp away from the wreckage right before a damaged fuel cell explodes and manages to send out a hypersonic signal from his belt before he loses consciousness. He's soon recovered by an ego-building robot that takes him to a secret lair several states away, where it puts Luther on a rocket ship programmed to go to the planet Lexor. This is a several-day journey, so we focus for a bit on Superman, who, a few hours later, finds that Luther has escaped and has followed the robot's ion trail to his secret lair, which he then proceeds to destroy. From the wreckage, the robot activates another Luthor plan before running out of energy by sending a signal to a satellite in space, signaling the activation of Phase 1 of a plan called Strike Back Planet 7, which sounds like a old sci-fi movie. Meanwhile, Lex arrives on Lexor and is found by his wife, Ardora. 
He also learns that they have a son, which not only makes Luther very proud, but also causes him to decide to stay on Lexor permanently. As the days pass, Lex enjoys spending time with his family, while also using his scientific genius to become a hero on Lexor. However, despite this new happy life, he still finds himself consumed with his hatred for Superman. During one of his tantrums, he accidentally causes a quake that opens up access to a hidden, ultra-advanced lab. This gives Luther an idea that just may give him some peace of mind. Back on Earth, Luther's satellite has encased Metropolis inside of a force field. Superman manages to bust out, but this disrupts the field in such a way that trying to bust back through would cause a detonation that would destroy the entire city. Eventually, Superman follows the source of the field to the satellite, realizes that Luther's behind it, and angrily flies off. Several weeks later, Luther introduces the people of Lexor to the Neutra Rod. See, he's discovered that internal stresses are seething in Lexor's core, and he's created the Neutra Rod to beam an intense flow of neutrons into the core to stabilize it. That night, someone in a mysterious armored suit that looks just like the one that was on the cover causes havoc, destroying the cargo of a transport flyer as well as causing other destruction across the planet. While Luther's assistance is requested in stopping this criminal, he also finds some joy in this, which Ardora questions. See, he explains that any day now he knows that Superman's going to arrive on Lexor to apprehend him, but now there's a true criminal for Superman to worry about instead. Three days later, Superman arrives, grabs Luther, and flies off. After Luther deduces that Superman is using some special sunscreen to allow him to keep his powers under Lexor's red sun, Superman explains that he saved Metropolis by wrapping the satellite in his cape and then kicking it away from Earth, and then taking care of it later. But the people of Lexor love Lex, and a cannon blast hits a weakened Superman pretty hard, causing him to drop Luther. While Superman recovers, Luthor manages to return to the ultra-advanced lab and emerges inside the power suit. As the two battle, the people of Lexor realize Luthor is in the suit, turning the tide of popular opinion in Superman's favor. Luthor hits Superman with another powerful energy blast, which hurts Superman, but also deflects off his body. Unfortunately, the deflection hits the neutral rod, which absorbs it. Luthor, realizing what has happened, leaves the battle and flies as quickly as his suit will take him back to his wife and child, just before he can reach them, literally. Their fingertips are about to touch. The energy of the deflected blast makes its way to the planet's core, destabilizing it and causing the entire planet to explode. There are only two survivors. One is Superman, who somehow managed to have just enough invulnerability to survive the blast. And he believes that Luther died of the explosion. But the other survivor is Luthor, thanks to his new power suit, who now blames Superman for destroying his world and taking away his family. And as he clutches to a chunk of debris, Luther vows that he has not even begun to hate. Uh, first off, due to the size of the issue, I'm not going to do page-by-page page notes. I'm just going to kind of do summary notes. So that'll save a little time, I guess. While we won't see it on covers for another couple of months, the first thing I noticed about this is that this issue is the debut of the more modern Superman logo with the thicker, less blocky letters, uh, the more curved U, most notable. Uh, it's easy to miss. It's actually really small, and it's actually more noticeable at the start of the second story. But it's there at both stories. In fact, I did miss this one. I noticed it on the beginning of the second story and went back to see that it was, in fact, 
on the title page of the first story as well. Uh, personally, I don't mind the change. It does take a little getting used to, especially once they start using it on the Superman covers, just because, well, basically for me, the letters look a little poofy when you're used to the older covers. Also, we're still in an older era using a newer logo, and it sort of works looks weird to me. Um, because, But uh, considering when I got into comics, this is the logo that I first saw. And so it's the one that I'm actually more used to. Well, actually, technically, the first one I saw was that crystalline one from the Superman movies. But you know what I mean. Uh, the only re main reason that I don't like it is that it reminds me that we are getting very close to the end of this era of Superman. As for the story itself, it's actually rather good. It, it doesn't touch on any of the subplots currently running through the books, but that's probably by design since it's an anniversary issue. Although I say that, the next story does touch on stuff. But anyway, uh, I really do like the idea of renewing Luther's hatred for Superman, giving him a clearer motivation in an era where most people thought that it was just because of his losing his hair. Uh, then again, I'm not sure how many of the current readers would have had any knowledge of Lexor or the Silver Age story where it debuted. However, with all of the reprints that they had in the 70s and the treasuries and the extra-sized comics, plus the digest books of the 80s, there's a chance... Oh, plus, you know, Superman 30s to the 70s and Superman 30s to the 80s. There's a... Uh, though I don't think it was one in 30s to the 80s. Was it in 30s to the 70s? Anyway, uh, it maybe may have been more well-known than I realize. But, uh, yeah, it just kind of... It hasn't been seen... I don't think they've even mentioned Lexor much since the 60s. However... I am going to say that I'm not a huge fan of the art. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not bad. But for a story introducing an update to Lex Luthor for the 80s, which also occurs while they're trying to update Superman in his world in the regular books, bringing Murphy Anderson in on the inks gives the art an early 70s feel. It just doesn't fit. To me, it just doesn't work. It, it just it makes it feel more like a throwback story than an than a update story but that's it for the notes for that story the following page is a pinup by george perez this image shows luthor in his new armor on some rocky area either at night or maybe he's on an asteroid in space uh, either way he's managed to put up a superman poster that he's using for target practice as might be expected perez's version of the armor involves a lot more detail than the swanderson version and he gives it more of a reflective quality which Gives it a, more of a metallic feel, hence the armor. Next up after that is this pretty long letter written by Jerry Siegel that I almost thought about reading, but then I realized this is way too long. Uh, but it basically summarizes Superman's real-world origins, mostly from his point of view, uh, up to his debut in Action Comics number 1, as well as giving thanks to several people for various Superman-related reasons. He also thanks Marv Wolfman and George Perez because he's been enjoying New Teen Titans. Go figure. Uh, anyway, this is followed by a very short message from Joe Schuster, and that includes what is probably his final Superman drawing, which he says is because his eyes are getting even worse than they were. And it's a full-page picture that looks like it came right out of 1940, which unfortunately looks it looks good for a Joe Schuster bit of art, but after a George Perez drawn Lex Luthor, the 1940s version of Superman just looks a little off. Again, 
it does work for the anniversary though, since this is his 45th anniversary. So, you know, I guess I can let it pass, you know, whatever. All right. So I'm going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back with our second story. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis? And how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. We now return to Charlie's GeekCast. Our second story for this issue is titled Rebirth, written by Marv Wolfman, with art by Gil Kane, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Gene D'Angelo, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Now this story, and it's very easy to miss this, but the story begins one year ago. With Superman standing on the Daily Planet globe doing my favorite Superman-type thing, he's wondering what the people down below really think about him. As he starts wondering if they're scared of him, he spots a blind girl and her seeing eye dog about to get run over by a speeding car, and he swoops down to save her. As he leaves, apparently Reed Richards is in the crowd, wondering what would happen if Superman ever turned on them. Meanwhile, Superman has picked up an emergency in deep space that requires his attention. Ironically, this takes him to the computerized planet that Brainiac had created, which Superman actually needed Brainiac's help to defeat recently, and currently has Brainiac buried in its core. But this isn't the problem. Actually, Epsilon 4 is about to go supernova. So Superman flies around it at super speed, turning the radiation and heat back in on itself. Unfortunately, it works too well and it creates a black hole that almost sucks Superman in. But he manages to escape and heads back to Earth, leaving the black hole there while he goes for a shower and a date with Lois. Yeah. However, Back inside the computer planet, we learn that Brainiac, who is very much alive in there, has caused the supernova because he needed the energy in order to escape the planet's core. Unfortunately for him, this energy works too well, and it converts Brainiac into pure energy, represented by multiple colors of dots. It looks like M&Ms or Skittles floating around in energy. The planet then disgorges the Brainiac energy, sending it out through space, where it explores several planets, absorbing information and knowledge before moving on. Eventually, the energy heads through the black hole that Superman had created, going back to the beginning of time and travels back up to his current time, where it sees a vision of Superman before inhabiting what appears to be a robotic embryo. This is where the gestation period begins, bringing us up to the present day, where a gleaming silver skull ship with metallic tentacles rips free from the computerized planet. Inside is the nightmarish robot that Brainiac has become, believing that Superman is the angel of death and they both serve the same master who wishes to see Brainiac dead. Now, partially organic, yet still without feeling, Brainiac does not find death too appealing and realizes he needs an army in order to fight back. He invades the planet Sistus II, attacking in two waves. 
His first assault results in the death of about a quarter of the planet's population. The second assault involves sending missiles that just bury themselves into the ground. When the planet's inhabitants fight back, Brainiac's missiles cause all of those attacks to be sent back down to the planet, causing even more destruction. With no alternatives, the planet surrenders. Back on Earth, and keep in mind we are now back in the quote-unquote present day, Clark and Lana are ending their date prematurely when Clark picks up an alarm from the Fortress of Solitude. It is Scora from Sistus 2, asking for help against Brainiac. Confused as to why Brainiac has seemingly changed his usual MO, Superman takes off for Sistus 2. Upon arrival, he's attacked by the locals. He gets away only to be attacked by their star cruisers. Getting angry now, he smashes through the ships and heads off to find Brainiac. Soon, he confronts Brainiac's new skull ship, which fires off a missile at the Man of Steel, who lets it hit him. Unfortunately, the explosion bathes him in red solar radiation, taking away his powers. Falling to the ground, the locals begin attacking again and quickly overwhelm him. Then, Brainiac arrives in a smaller cruiser, introducing himself to a shock Superman and proclaiming to be his death. Alright, now, as I mentioned earlier, every time I read this story, I miss out on that one year ago caption box, which leaves me confused partway through the story and I have to go back and start over. Overall, it's a good story. I'm not sure why Superman would make a big deal about saving several planets from a supernova, but would have no problem leaving a black hole in its place. It seems to me that that would leave those planets without a sun and in danger of being sucked into a black hole. Uh, anyway, the rest of the story is actually pretty interesting. Brainiac is literally reborn, and it appears to all be thanks to the computer planet he had created. However, despite increasing his intelligence, the process seems to have driven him a bit cray-cray, thinking there's some master that both he and Superman serve, and that Superman wants to kill him, which obviously could not really be further from the truth. Although, this is not helped by the fact that Superman does have plans to dismantle him at one point in the story. As for the art, I'm not too impressed by this art. Uh, granted, I can feel the energy of the story, it's got a lot of energy, and the action is certainly more dynamic than it was in the first story, but it also looks rather sloppy. Like I said, it's not terrible, but having an inker to tighten things up a bit may have been helpful. Uh, this especially hurt by the pinup image that follows the story, which is done by Ed Hannigan and Dick Giordano, which shows the new Brainiac in all his glory, but includes a purple cape and a funky-looking staff, and his skull ship is also firing a bunch of blasts. Now, maybe they had more time to work on this one single image than Gil Kane had to work on this whole story. But this image makes him look more like a solid object and a shiny robot, rather than the slightly mushier look that he, that he has in the actual story. Uh, now, that, that's it for the issue, really. For one of the few anniversary issues of this era... There isn't E. Nelson Bridwell writing this huge thing about the history of Superman or anything, although I think he was writing some comics at the time, so maybe he didn't have time. But, uh, yeah. So, that just ends the issue. Uh, closing out this part of the show would normally be the number one song for the month. However, unsurprisingly, Michael Jackson's Billie Jean is still holding the number one spot. So, we're going to close out with the number two song, which is Shame on the Moon by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. And after some promos, I'll be right back with some feedback. Until you've been beside a man You don't know what he wants You don't know if he cries at night You don't know if you don't When nothing comes 
Charlie's Geekcast will return after these promos. A historic moment tonight. The Berlin Wall can no longer contain the East German people. It is 1989. After 28 years of dividing a city and symbolizing the divide of the Cold War, the Berlin Wall opens up, and from there, everything changes. Fallen Walls, Open Curtains is a podcast miniseries from Pop Culture Affidavit and hosted by me, Tom Paneris. From November 2019 until December 2021, I am going to take a look at the events that took place 30 years ago, beginning with the fall of the Berlin Wall and ending with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. Along the way, I will be flashing back to the landmark and not-so-landmark pieces of popular culture that reflected and defined the Cold War. The first episode will drop on November 9th, 2019, and future episodes will be released quarterly at popcultureaffidavit.com and two true freaks.com. Did you leave the car running, Andy? I did. I'm not sure why, but I did. It, it, it's important. Like getting these comics from Ryan and Chris's Nightcast offices. Why are we getting these comics from Ryan and Chris? So, since Nightcast isn't covering what they originally set out to cover, I thought it would be fun to talk about the Jim Starlin run of Batman. So, we're getting the comics from them to do that. And, and they know that we're doing this? What? That we're covering Batman issues 414 to 430? Yeah, totally. I, I checked in with them and everything. So you got permission to get these comics, which includes the storylines, Ten Nights of the Beast, The Cult, and The Death in the Family. I totally told them we were covering these books, yes. And we're starting these episodes in May. That is, if you actually edit them on time. Yeah, Andy. The The series starts in May and can be found on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and at www.fortressofbailey2.com. Busting my balls and everything. 
Oh, right, right. Well, let's let's hurry up. There are listeners that want to hear this, and I have to get back to Atlanta in 28 hours so I can get my flight home. No, no problem. I got the comics right here. What's going on here? Andy? Mike? What are you doing here? Why do you have our comics? Say, Mike? Yes, Andy? We didn't get permission to take these comics, did we? No, Andy. And when you told me to get the box out of the car, you were really picking the lock to get in here? Yes, Andy. So what do we do now? Well, uh, we could try to talk our way out of this, but when I tell you to run, run! The Overlooked Dark Knight covers the Jim Starlin Batman run, a multi-part series of episodes beginning in May of 2020. From the grisly dumpster killings, to a death in the family, and everything in between. The Overlooked Dark Knight is part of the Fortress of Bailytude podcasting network, located at www.fortressofbailytude.com. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and Spotify. I'm going to barbecue your ass in molasses. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. All right, and we're back with our feedback section. First up, we have a comment on the website from Dave McElvaney. And he writes, first, a minor technical note. For some reason, there are a few odd moments of extended silence early in this episode. It seems like some of the podcast promos you meant to include didn't get included. Uh, this is me talking. I'm taking a break from the comment. Uh, yeah, that episode, episode 48, was basically cursed, I think. Uh, first, I completely lost the whole recording and had to start over again from scratch. Then I finished the recording, finished the editing, uploaded the episode, and for some reason, uh, out of the two tracks that I tried, that I, I tried to keep my episodes to two tracks, and for some reason... Audacity decided to take the bottom track and completely mute, uh, mute the whole thing, silence it. Uh, it. It picked up again right about right near the end, about the point I was about to play Billy Jean. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I have fixed it. In fact, I fixed it shortly after, shortly about the time I was getting this comment, probably. Uh, so if you haven't heard the f- corrected version, you, please feel free to go do so. Uh, but uh, yes. The whole episode is fixed and is up and corrected. Second, I remember the surprise I felt when I first read this issue back in 1983 and Steve Lombard's fate here. As you mentioned, it was very unusual for recurring characters to leave the story formally rather than just disappear. Although, I do seem to have vague memories that this is not quite the final appearance of Mr. Lombard. Third, this story is so Carrie Bates. I enjoy much of Mr. Bates' work, but... Sometimes his stories feel more silver than Bronze Age, in their plot convolutions and reliance on incredibly powerful devices which, once the current story ends, will never be seen or referenced again. Thanks for the fun trip down memory lane. Well, you're welcome, Dave. Thank you for commenting. Uh, over in the email sack, we have uh, over at charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, I have uh, got three emails to go over here real quick. First off... Russell Bragg writes, Hello, Charlie. Hello, Russell. 
Wow, you got this episode out faster than I could get an email out to you. I'm not complaining, though, since I got another episode quickly. I don't have Action Comics number 543. Actually, he wrote $543, but I think he meant number 543. In my collection yet. I really need to buckle down and get some more action issues. Not really much to comment on. I kind of like the Clark and Lana romance. Oh, and he's... I'm sorry. He's talking about episode 47. I should probably point that out. Anyway. I saw a little bit of it in my coverage of DC Comics Presents. Perry getting mad at the computer on page 12 was pretty funny. Especially when the internet is slow. So does my wife. Of course, the continuing saga of Superman and Lois. In today's comics, aren't people afraid of Superman using his powers like a god? And yet, here we have Lois sort of insisting that he go that way. Superman falling into Vandal Savage's trap again is getting old. I can't wait to see what happens next. Signed, Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Well, thank you, Russell. And moving right along, he sends another email, this time about episode 48. Greetings, Charlie. Hello, Russell. Another great episode. Of course, I have Superman 384. We're almost to the issue where I started my first and only Superman subscription. I can't remember the issue number, but I remember the cover. I'll probably mention it when we get to that issue. I can tell you that I can't stand Steve Lombard. I'm probably not alone. He's one of those people that you may have come across in your school days. Smart Alec, thinks he's so funny, practical joker. Otherwise, in this issue, you may feel sorry for him. I know it probably won't last, and I'm sure this situation won't change Steve one bit. But it was nice to see that class clown get his for once. Huh, Clarky? Can't stand it when he calls him Clarky. Nice shirt rip on page 18. Also on that page, it was nice to see the cover image. It was probably more common back then. I guess that's all I got for now. I can't remember and I probably won't look it up, but didn't you cover Action Comics 544 in your original Superman of the Bronze Age podcast? Not that you can't do it again, but I was just wondering. Thanks for keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Okay, so I did look this up because I honestly couldn't 100% remember, but I did not cover this before. I've covered other anniversary issues in this era, but not this particular one. In fact... I specifically was holding it off because it's part of this whole storyline and I was trying to hold off and do this storyline at some point during that show. And then, you know, my wife was pregnant, so ran out of time. Anyway, now I'm covering it, so hopefully you're enjoying it. All right, and our final email for today is from Steve Dunn and he writes, "More episodes, longer episodes with praying hands." Hi Charlie. I only recently discovered your show, and I have to say, I'm loving it. It's like McDonald's. McDonald's. I'm loving it. The issues you are currently reviewing are amongst the last I read of The Last Son of Krypton, as due to childhood financial limitations and the vagarities of the spinner rack, I became a Marvel-only reader at about this time, admittedly with odd exception. To this day, I don't know how the Vandal Savage storyline concludes, and I can't wait for you to cover it. However, it feels like years since the last episode. Please get some more out soon, and if you'd like to make them a little longer, that's great too. Best wishes, Steve Dunn. Well, Steve, thank you for writing in. Um, I apologize for the length of time between the episodes, but I'm doing the best I can. I've got a pretty busy schedule. I am a parent. Uh, I'm married, of course, but um, I do have two kids, and uh, they take up a lot of time. They just got a dog. That takes up a lot more time. And I've got school getting ready to start for them, which is going to seriously cut into my recording time. So I am doing the best I can, uh, as much as I can. But the whole point of this show was to put episodes out 
when I can. And unfortunately, sometimes it's going to be a long break in between episodes, and sometimes it'll be like three days. So I apologize, but that's just the way it's going to have to be. Anyway, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, if you'd like to write into the show, you can leave a comment on either the show posting at charliesgeekcast.com or because of the Superman comics. Uh, I'm also putting the Superman coverage episodes on supermanofthebronzeage.com. You can also email the show at charliesgeekcast at gmail.com. And that'll be it. So I want to thank you all for listening, and I will see you next time. Bye, folks. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's GeekCast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening and good night. Good night.